The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Dr. Carol's Couch with your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. All comments, views, and opinions are solely those of Dr. Lieberman, her guests, and callers. Now it's time to have a seat on Dr. Carol's Couch. Here's your host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome to today's edition of Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Well, we all know what um, this past Sunday was, the 15th anniversary of 9/11, I hope that you, I hope that you, uh, you honored um, the victims, and the people on the plane, the people on the ground, the first responders, um, the people who were who died and were injured, including the first responders who are continuing to have the impact on their health of what they did, the good they did on 9/11, uh, those who lived through it. And um, just this is the aftermath of the ceremonies of the anniversary of 9-11. And so it seems perfect to have as my guest um, a woman who is going to be talking about her aftermath, the aftermath of her uh, tragedy, personal tragedy of 9-11, the loss of her husband. My guest is Lisa Luckett. She became a widow and a single mother of three children on that tragic day. But instead of crumbling, she has managed to find a silver lining and to share it with others. And we should be honoring people, special people like Lisa as well. Um, this on on Sunday on on this 9/11, um, I made uh, an announcement that my latest terrorism book is going to be coming out this fall. As you, some of you may know or remember, uh, my first book on terrorism came out in uh, 2006. It was published in London, and it was called Coping with Terrorism, Dreams Interrupted. It came out as the first year anniversary edition of 7-7, which is their 9-11. And my new book, um, as I said, coming out this fall, believe me, you will hear about it <laughs> before by the time it's available to buy or pre-order. It's called Lions and Tigers and Terrorists, Oh My, How to Protect Your Child in a Time of Terror. And it's a book um, that has a beginning part um, for adults, for grown-ups, for parents and grandparents and teachers. Um, And the second part of it is for kids. It's actually a children's book, you know, with a picture book um, on, that gives them a gentle introduction to terrorism. So that will be coming. I will be talking more about it. But today I want to talk about um, actually a woman who we were chatting before we came, before the show started, and um, we actually have uh, similar passions, which is uh, emotional preparedness for terrorism. So Lisa, welcome to the show. Oh, hey, Dr. Carroll. So thank you. Thank you so much for having me today. 
Now, I would like to talk about, um, of course, your experience of 9-11, how that day started, how you found out about what happened, and and the whole tragedy of it. But then I'm interested in what you talk about, um, about how your life before 9-11 prepared you to uh, better handle that day, the tragedy, the loss of your husband, the loss of your children's father, and so on. So let's start with the day itself, and then we will go backwards, if that's okay with you. Absolutely. That's fine. Okay. So the morning of 9-11 was uh, my daughter, Jennifer, was seven and had just started second grade. My son, Billy, was four, and my little guy, Timmy, was four months. And Jen had not been feeling well, so I took her to school late that morning. When I was walking back in the house, oh, somewhere around quarter of nine, that my phone was ringing, and I picked it up, and a friend of mine said, and I quote, Lisa, what building is Teddy in? Uh. I said, the one with the antenna on it. And she said, turn on the TV, because a plane just hit it and took off the top 15 floors. Mm. She didn't ask me what floor he was on. He was on the 105th floor, which meant he was dead on the ground in in that piece of information. So that began what I witnessed going forward with the media of people expanding on the facts, making it up as they went, which just intensified everything that much worse further. But that's just an aside. So I turned the television on. I saw the black billowing smoke. I had my son Billy's hand and my little guy on my shoulder, and I, my son Billy was remembers that four you have memory. Mm-hmm. And he said I was stomping my feet and screaming, Ted, Ted, Ted. Oh. But it didn't last very long. I pulled it together. I called my parents. They were in Maryland. Told them what would happen. They, I you know, got in the car to come up, I'm assuming. And, but really within a, a, probably a 15 minutes, if not even that, I, I calmed down. Because of several things. First of all, to the emotional preparedness, to your life preparing you to handle things. In a very twisted way, I was prepared to handle 9-11. And the reason is Teddy, who was my husband, worked for Cantor Fitzgerald, which is the big company that had 658 people die. And primarily they were on the 104th and 105th floors of the North Tower, the first tower that was hit. So they walked down in the bombings in February of 1993. And it took four and a half hours to walk out of that building because the staircases were so narrow. They literally going one step and pause, one step and pause. Their lights went out on the 80th floor. I mean, it was really torturous. The thing about it was I was working in Midtown, Manhattan at the time. And when I looked south, I could see the buildings and there was not a wisp of smoke. Hmm. And that bomb went off two buildings away in the Vista Hotel, and that bomb blew up down. And it was like eight stories underground. So by the time Teddy got home that night, having walked out, literally walked out of lower Manhattan, there were no cabs, there was no anything. So he more or less walked home to the Upper East Side. When he got in the shower, that water ran black for five minutes. He had so much soot on him. Mm. When I saw the smoke, I knew he was gone on 9-11. There was no way you would live through that. Not only that, the joke, because Wall Street people, you know, joke about everything. You know, they said, oh, ha, ha, we'll, we'll take gas masks in and we'll have them in our desks or we'll have parachutes. But what they really said is they'd go to the roof if it happened again. Hmm. So with looking at that, 
obviously we all saw it. There was no going to the roof. So in my heart, I knew he was gone. Of course, we held out hope. Everybody did. Um, but I knew. And so there was a strange preparation in that because I had dealt with the terrorism in 93. And I never got angry the second time around because the truth is they all went back into that building knowing it was a target. Hmm. So subconsciously, I kind of knew. Well, so Secondly, let me just ask you. So in 93... Sure. Um, did you, when did you know, how soon did you know that he was okay? Like, how long did you have to wait before you you heard word whether he was okay? Four and a half hours. I see. But here's the funny thing about denial. I was a newlywed. We'd been married for about a year and a half. And in my mind, I didn't see anything wrong, so there was nothing wrong. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> and I was, his mother was home and calling me frantically and because she was watching the news. She was seeing it on television. I never saw it on television. So I didn't see the people coming out. I didn't see the panic and the terror of it. So in my state of denial, I knew he was okay. Or maybe I just knew he was okay. You know, mm-hmm. part of my old journey has been the spiritual knowing that we have, that we have this intuitive knowing about things. Right. So did, so. in fact, he or any of the other um, people at Cantor Fitzgerald actually do something like like bring in face masks or whatever it was that they were? To my knowledge, they just... no. No, huh. I don't think so. I think the truth was they would all have gone upstairs. But in Ted's case, and I think most all of, well, obviously there were people that didn't die within the crash, I think the plane actually came up underneath him because it came up and under, if you see the footage. And he was in the corner that was, you know, where it would have landed. And he was in a sales meeting. So I never heard from him. No one from his group was ever heard from, and which in a way I was peaceful with because I think it would be much harder to hear the terror in their voices, mm-hmm. made it, would have made it much more real. And in my case, it was very esoteric. It's the best word I can give it. I don't even know if it's the right word, but it was just very ethereal. And um, the people I spoke to in the months that followed that worked for the Port Authority said that Anything, the fire was with like 100 or 1,000 degrees within two minutes of that explosion because the the fuel in the tanks of the uh, plane were just, you know, explosive. So it was really probably an asphyxiation even more than a fire. But but that's ultimately when you want to break, you break it down because that's that's what we all do. We all think about where they are, and, and that's pretty much a torturous mm-hmm. mental journey to take. But that's that's kind of what I believe happened. And there were 60% of the people were found, 1,100 people, there was never any trace. So the ashes to ashes aspect of it also worked for me. And I feel kind of spared because I had friends that they found three different parts of their guys at three different times. And what do you do? Do you open a grave? Like, it's just almost too gruesome Mm -hmm. and not helpful. To me, it wasn't. It wasn't helpful to me. Other people, maybe it was, but well, that's you know, my I watched the opinion. clip of the TV show that you were on, in which you were talking about this, um, and it, it showed uh, a laboratory, the um, the coroner's office, the uh, medical examiner's office, um, where they were talking about. You know, they showed people in the laboratory and all that, and they it, they were talking about how new scientific breakthroughs. I mean, they're continuing to try right. to identify. The ashes. So do you, do you think about, I mean, I'm sure at some level you think about that. I mean, do, are you 
kind of waiting for another shoe to drop? Are you are you hoping that? No. That... You know, I feel like I never spent time there. I'll be honest. I know he was there. <laughs> yeah. It's, I don't need to confirm that he was there. I know he yeah. was there. Yeah. And there was so much life that we had to live in the next second that I didn't spend any time dwelling on that. And I believe mm-hmm. that to be, for me, a gift, that I didn't have to be pulled into that very sad, very tragic, very uh, painful place. I was spared that. That's the only word I can give it. Again, maybe a spiritual intervention, honestly. I think I was being cared for. I think he was really caring, caring for me from the middle of uh-huh. that morning on. Uh-huh. Well, so after 93... Did you and he have discussions about this? Like, did you, how did you feel about him continuing to work in that building? You know, I was caught up like all the other lemmings. We all just followed, followed right along with it. I mean, it was a good job, and it was a, you know, he, that was his income, and that was our income. And I, um, you know, I worked myself, and I did a lot of business myself down at the trade centers for many, many, many years. I had my own relationship with those buildings and, and really important stories in my life in those buildings. So we didn't really talk about it because we were young. You know, you're not thinking mm-hmm. about your mortality, mm-hmm. even though I do know people that were interviewed after the, in, within the years after 9-11 who were said after the 93 bombing that they quit their jobs, mm-hmm. that they just wouldn't go back in the buildings. Now, they were wise souls, <laughs> it turns out. But um, the other way that I was prepared for that morning was that Ted's family had lost their dad when there were four children. He, Teddy was the oldest, and they were all in their teens. He'd had smoking-induced lung cancer, and it had taken him two years to pass away. I watched that family never recover from this loss. Uh-huh. And not being judgmental, I thought, gosh, I just hope I would do, I would do this differently. I, I hope I could have joy again someday. You know, but I've never lost anyone, so who am I to judge? Uh-huh. However, <laughs> dot, 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 in addition, every time I saw my mother-in-law, who obviously was, was left to raise these four teenagers and never, ever gave them another chore to do, she felt that she could never, she would hurt her children more to ask them to be accountable, to give them kind of structure. So what ended up happening is they were like four independent satellites, hmm. and they floundered. At least that's what I can tell you now. Mm-hmm. But she tortured herself and me by basically telling me every time I saw her for the 10 years we were married that he was going to die of a heart attack because he was a little overweight. He wasn't able to exercise. He had naturally high cholesterol. We had just had our third child. He was working really long hours and commuting from New Jersey to New York and all that goes with being 40 years old and a walking heart attack. Mm -hmm. So she wasn't wrong. But because you brought it up to me, what happened? Of course, I ran it through my mind over and over and over again. Uh. And the, what I learned from this, and this is part of being becoming emotionally prepared, and this is how I want to turn this for people. When you look at a situation that you're afraid of, you, take, you can take all the steps you need to take to prepare yourself for that as well as you can. So I bought as much life insurance as I could afford, term life insurance, which is just a bill you pay. And I knew where all the important documents were. Hmm. And when we went to sleep at night, I made sure if we'd had an argument during the day or whatever, we always went to bed in a loving way. So there was peacefulness, you know, with each day was closed well. And Uh so that morning was like a bounce for me, literally. 
And I was also the nursing mother of a four-month-old. Like, nature isn't going to let you go down. So while it's a tragedy to have all these very young families, the truth is having young children bought me time because the experience of, his, of Ted's family, all being teenagers, all being out of that egocentric bubble that a child is encapsulated in as long as they know they're okay, it can be okay. They're not able to project mortality yet. So, again, Ted's family gave me the roadmap of how not to do it. Huh. That's very interesting. So what about right. you, you, what about that mo- the morning before he left for work? Like, of course, I'm sure you played every minute of it over and over again. Um, were there things did you have, or did he have um, any kind of a a sense that something bad was going to happen, or did, did you have a particularly you know, I, I mean, I think it's great what you said about uh, ending each day in a loving way, regardless of what happened. I mean, looking back on that morning, are there things that you wish you could have changed, or are you thrilled with the way, you know, it, it kind of, the last memories, or how was that? Well, if you knew me, you would know I'm extremely honest, so I'm going to be very honest with you and your listeners. We had probably the biggest fight of our marriage the night before he died. Hmm. Because I was very postpartum depressed. I was 41. I just turned 41. My birthday's in early September. And I was lactating. I had a third child. And I knew what I was in for. And it was hard. And he was, you know, so I was really stressed. And, you know, we had a, a, just when I say that, a dramatic fight. Like I was just, I needed help. And I felt like I was drowning. And he was really struggling at work because he was working for a new part of Cantor Fitzgerald their electronic trading platform and nobody could figure out how to pay them and they were shuffling people all the time and, you know, there were people being laid off because they couldn't figure out really how to staff it. So I present him with my frustration and he says, well, I'm sorry, you had a bad day. 20 more people were let go today. Well, we need to take a break uh, now, but when we come back, we'll certainly continue with this. My guest is Lisa Luckett. She um, has found the silver lining. We're going to hear more about how she did that and what it has resulted in when we continue. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787, Hello? and ask our all-star team to answer your question. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com
These days, everyone is looking for information on staying young, healthy, and fit. The Voice America Health and Wellness Network is here to help you on your quest to better health and a better you. We talk about everything from diet, fitness, and aging to substance abuse, personal growth, mental health, and much more. Learn from our experts who cover health and wellness from traditional and holistic perspectives. Tune in to the Voice America Health and Wellness Network. Healthy living starts here. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com. Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll free at 1 866 472 5788. Now back to the show. Here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Uh, with me today is Lisa Luckett. She is a 9-11 widow. Um, also, at the, on that day, she became a single mother of three. A single mother of three. And instead of crumbling, she has been managing, she has managed and is continuing to manage to find the silver lining and now to spread it to other people as well. Um, I don't know. I hope... I've been getting chills as you've been telling this story. I trust that my listeners have been too. Um, so why don't we continue with this? We were, I had been asking you about um, how things were um, right before your husband left that morning, and you were talking about the night before how that was how you had a big fight. Right. <laughs> and then, and so, then, what happened? So then, so what we ended up, he calmed me down by basically putting it all in perspective, like he could have lost his job that day and then where would we be? Yeah. And he was one of two people left doing what he was doing out of what hmm. probably was an original 30. Hmm. So it was, it was a pretty scary time. And so, but we went to bed well, you know, it was okay and I was, just needed his attention. So in the morning when he left, I said to him, you are my soulmate and I love you. Oh, wow. And he walked out the door. Like a movie script. Oh, wow. Like a movie script. And I can see his, the back of his head. He had this cute little walk and like what he looked like walking out the door. And that's the last mm-hmm. thing I ever said to him. So it's literally very, when I say esoteric or ethereal, that's kind of where it is for me. Because uh, these were, literally it was like living in a movie. Uh-huh. Um, the way I watched the buildings fall that, next mor- that morning and... I had gone up to nurse Timmy and take a break from it and turned off my TV and I was in my bedroom and a friend came up and said, Lisa, Teddy's building just fell down. And I turned on the TV, but it was the South Tower that fell first and the North Tower was still standing. Mm. So next thing I knew, 15 of my friends were sitting in my room with me and we, were all, we all watched his building fall together. And I oh whispered, goodbye, Teddy, I love you. He was gone. Right in front of us. Mm. So... It's just what it, you know, everybody has their own story of this. Everyone has their story of 9-11. If someone finds out who I am, they tell me where they were. Uh Uh-huh. And I listen because it's so powerful. The scab is still not sealed over, and that is why I want to talk to you today, Dr. Carol. I want people to know that there is absolutely hope out there, that there are ways. We actually have enormous strength and enormous courage and enormous capacity to handle things. Well, so, tell us, tell us about um, how you handled it with your each of your three children. Of course, well, I mean, of course, the four-month-old you didn't have to handle it yet. Right. But um, you know, Jen and Billy, how, what, how did, okay. what did you do? 
so Jen was in school. So I left her in school, and we created what was called a holding community around her. And so she never saw the footage of the buildings burning until she was a sophomore in high school. Literally was protected that long and needed to be. Jennifer is very sensitive and has high anxiety by nature. So she's, she struggles with it by far the most out of our family. And my boys are boys and a little more just they're, they were younger. They're just wired differently. And no one's right or wrong. It's just how they are. And so Billy, Billy was four, and he watched the whole thing go down with us. And he watched the adults coming and going out of the house. And, you know, within an hour, I had 50 people here. You know, there were, and by the, as the day progressed, people that made it home came into my house with, with dust and soot and, you know, on them, on them from being down there, literally walking out of Wall Street into my house. So it was so real time and so extraordinary that I, so, but this is the piece you have to know about me. Because I was in this bounce, because I had been prepared in this weird way, I was extremely clear and I was fine. Literally fine. And well, I looked around the room at the people who were desperate to help me, desperate in their fear, desperate in their pain, and there was nothing anyone could do. Uh-huh. Absolutely nothing. So I'm a woman of the 70s, 80s. I was cultured that we could do everything and never ask for help. So I didn't want any help. But I also saw that these people were really hurting, and I was okay, and my nature is to be generous and to take care of you. So I recognized in this moment, at this incredible moment of grace, that the only way I could help them was to let them help me. And I opened that door, what that door was open, and I passed through it, and was, when I tell you, flooded with gratitude and humility and grace in that second that it changed my life forever. It humbled me so greatly. It allowed me to learn to receive. And uh-huh. we know anyone who does this knows that you can't give, really, until you've learned to receive. That humility uh-huh. is a critical thing. And here was my lesson, literally hitting me in the head. And so in that moment, I also was the whole experience of the magnitude of that shock of this situation blew us open, all of us. And it blew me out of the box and out of the box, a box I had tried to fit in for 40 years, society's box with all of its rules and all of its, you know, structure, which I never succeeded in. Hmm. Out of the box I flew where I had always belonged in the first place. And what I mean by that is I trusted myself. Every instinct I had my mother's knowing, my intuitive knowing, my gut instinct, in my heart, I knew what to do, which was to listen to myself. Because all bets were off. All rules were broken. It was a totally new day, and no one knew what to do. Mm-hmm. So I look at it as the equivalent of having every emotional bone in your body broken simultaneously, times 50 million people. You would go to the doctor if it was your physical body. So I went to the doctor for my head. And I put my daughter into art therapy with a really cool woman. And I found this woman who was a world-class therapist in my little town who had come out of New York, out of the think tank on Central Park West. And we started peeling back the layers. Because I determined that morning, 
like a warrior's cry that there was no way I was going to let them die in vain. There was no way. If we let them die in vain, then the terrorists would win. I would make something good come from this, come hell or high water. I didn't know I was setting an intention that would change my life forever. But that is ultimately what happened, and I can tell you that today. Fifteen years later, my children are grounded. They are resilient. They know who they are. So getting help, that horrible word, asking for help, the single greatest thing I ever did. Uh-huh. Um, and did you, was it just individual therapy or was it, I guess, or did you include your children at some point? Or Well, my little ones are too little, but my daughter Jen, who was a child that was never a little girl, little girl. She didn't like fuzzy animals or dolls or any of that. She was kind of a grown-up in a child's body. So she was the right kid to handle this. So I took her to a therapist who was an art therapist who did sand tray play, which is now a common thing, but was very new then. And she was seven because sand tray, for those listening, uh, is an opportunity to make a world within a box of sand where two inches or so of sand in a wooden box that you can pull knickknacks off of, you know, floor-to-ceiling shelves that have little miniatures of anything in the world you can think of. And you can build the worlds, and they're able to express themselves with figurines when children and, you know, people that can't draw or paint or whatever Mm -hmm. can't really maybe articulate in a creative way what they think. And so... You can interpret it. Um, I always joke that her name was Stephanie Hagedorn, and she's passed since, but she was a combination of Granny Goodwitch meets Mama Cass, and she just scooped Jennifer in, in her Birkenstocks and her long gray hair, and her she was just delicious. And that was, she became Jen's advocate. And my doctor, Dr. Velarde, is a clinical psychoanalyst. So I did analysis, not supportive therapies, which is the face-to-face therapy. I laid on a couch and looked at a wall and free associated. Well, I think that that's great, and I think that that's why, I mean, you know, it's great to hear you say that because um, I am psychoanalytic. Uh, I do psychoanalytically oriented therapy, but I studied with Anna Freud before she died. Um, So, you know, uh, I'm certainly your cheerleader for that. Um, Well, me for you, honestly. I didn't even know that. Well, I mean, you know. We didn't even know that. (laughs) Honest. um, You know, it's so unfortunate that that so many psychiatrists these days have become have become pill pushers instead of doing actual therapy. But right. I, want, I want to make sure that I, I don't want to forget to ask you something um, about, you mentioned that Jen um, didn't watch the buildings fall until she was a sophomore in high school. Was that by sort of an accidental, um, was that in a classroom? I mean, how did that Ugh. come about? That is a whole other hour, and I still <laughs> get upset about it. I was in a, basically the high school showed a, a hate crimes assembly because there was so much bullying on Facebook. So they decided to show the entire student population without telling any of the parents they were doing it. Mm. All of the, so they, they showed basically several shots of the planes hitting the buildings, the buildings falling, I'm sorry, burning, and then the buildings falling. She was caught completely blindsided. Oh, wow. I mean, she was apoplectic for three days. Oh, yes, I can imagine. And they so basically she, said to me, too bad. So I, will, I have not sent it. Not, neither of my boys have gone to that high school. And it's the high school I went to, and it's in a town that's very emotionally disconnected, and it's very obvious. So, 
Oh. That's a whole other story. So she hadn't wanted to see it before then, and she no, hadn't wanted to no. see it then either. But I mean, she, she would be happy to never see it. Mm-hmm. She just doesn't well. need. It just scars her so deeply. She's lost her dad, and you know, and that's one of the things. Somebody, the other way to, I didn't know this then, but I can tell you now. You know, there were three different losses in my family. There was a loss of a father, the loss of a son, and the loss of a husband. Uh-huh. I lost my husband. I took a vow with him one day and said, I'm with you till death do us part. We knew one of us would go first. A mother to lose, my mother-in-law losing her son is the wrong order. You're not supposed to lose a child mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. at any age. That, you know, so, and then a, a losing a parent is just a giant hole. And because Ted had lost his dad, I was somewhat tuned in to what that was like. I have other friends, obviously, we all have friends who have lost parents. But, you know, it's, it's always given me a sense of a softness around it because even when Jennifer was 10 and I was saying something about my own father, who I only lost three years ago, you know, at the ripe old age of 78, when you're supposed to go, that he, she said, it's okay, Mommy, I'll help you when Poppy dies. Huh. Because here was a child who had more experience than her mother. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So the wisdom of children, and when we talk about intuition and we talk about knowing Children know everything. Yes. We just haven't given them the language. And we yes. get them into, you know, to around the age of six, they're pure connections to their intuition and God and source and everything. And we put them into our social structure and our, into the box, you know, and they go to school and we kind of extinguish that. Mm-hmm. And it would be yes. my hope that through this experience of 9-11, which is part of my story and what I, I would love to share, which is how we can go forward into a beautiful future, because we can. Yes. It's right we're here, be, and we can do it. We're going to be talking about that, what you have done um, as a result of this. I just, I, I just want to also um, talk about, because this is, has a lot of significance, will have a lot of significance for people. I mean, it's sort of something that people need to understand and that is about how, um, after 9-11, you were diagnosed with breast cancer. Right. So, yeah. So breast cancer, the word cancer, is, in itself is terrifying. You just hear it and you're just terrified. And my coming out of that, I would hope that we could come up with some other words for cancer, like the Eskimos have 125 words for snow. Uh-huh. We need more descriptions. So the way I would describe my cancer would be cancer light. I didn't dodge the bullet, but it just grazed me. I was completely treatable, curable. I had a lumpectomy. I had four rounds of chemo, and I had 33 rounds of radiation. I'm not scarred because mine was close under the muscle to the muscle wall on my left side, so I looked normal. I wasn't disfigured with a mastectomy. Different experience completely. You know, I, was, you, I didn't have 12 yeah. rounds of, of chemo and then two years of Herceptin for HER2 positive. I didn't have, there's so many, there's so many variations on treatments that it would be nice for people to dial it down and dial that fear, turn that volume down on the fear a little bit. Because we live in such a reactionary society, which is part of my point about 9-11, is we've been reacting for 15 years because there's no wisdom to elders in our community to say, mm-hmm. shh, sh- sh- it's going to be okay. Yes, yes. But there's, I, I have a theory as to why, which we can get into, but, but for my experience with cancer was basically my test. Can you, in fact, learn a skill set for trauma management? What had I learned in those eight years? Because it was 2009. 
And the answer is absolutely. There's a, a beginning, a middle, and an end to your traumatic grief. It's acutely intense in the beginning, and then it morphs over time. And in nature, being in perfect balance, nature is going to give it to you and let it go. It's going to ebb and it's going to flow. Watching my husband's family and the chronic pain they imposed on themselves over this loss of this father, which by the time I met Teddy in our 20s, he'd been gone for six years. Mm. And it was like he died the day before. Mm-hmm. So you can impose that grief on yourself forever by listening to the shoulds, by saying, oh my gosh, I should feel bad. I just lost this person. If I don't, then I'm dishonoring them. Then that means I don't love them. And I couldn't disagree more. Now, I want to bring up the point about, um, because this gets so lost, I mean, typically um, it's when when people, there has been research that has shown that people are more vulnerable to cancer when they have had a loss, whether it's not, for most people, it's not a loss like, you know, the giant tragedy of 9-11, but the loss of a husband, the loss of some other close relative, um, the losses in life, particularly when someone close to you dies, um, makes people become more vulnerable to, well, it has to do with their immune system. It, It wreaks havoc with the immune system, and it makes people more vulnerable to having cancer. And I don't know if you knew that at the time, like at 9-11, and did, whether you were taking extra precautions, like having mammograms more often or, or, or not, but, um, oh, and here's the music, we need to take a break, right? When, well, you can think about that, and we'll talk about it when we come back. My guest is Lisa Luckett. You're listening to Dr. Carol's Couch. We're talking about her experiences of finding the silver lining after 9-11. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. Ask the experts. Call toll-free right now, 1-866-472-5787. Hello? And ask our all-star team to answer your questions. That's 1-866-472-5787. Thank you for calling. VoiceAmerica.com. Are you having difficulty coping with these troubled times? Do you want help? Then contact Dr. Carol Lieberman today at www.drcarol.com. Dr. Carol is a certified psychiatrist who not only has won an Emmy, but is a regular on top television shows like Oprah Winfrey and Larry King. She's here to help you through books, CDs, and helplines. Having trouble relaxing? Check out her relaxation CD. Has the fear of terrorism crippled your life? Call the terrorism hotline. And if you're having trouble with relationships, check out her book, Bad Boys. Dr. Carol wants to help you today, so contact her at www.drcarol.com or for immediate help at 1-900-860-COPE. Get help making sense of these troubled times. www.drcarol.com Now there's a new destination for video content. VoiceAmerica.tv Just like our radio channels and so much more. Voice America Variety, Health and Wellness, Business, Sports, Green Talk, Power Up Motorsports, and 7th Wave Network now have their own video channel components. Plus, check out exclusive programming including movies, music, educational courses, science and history, current events and short features. High definition, premier quality programs available 24-7. VoiceAmerica.tv If you think you've seen online TV like this before, let us surprise 
the Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. If you have a question or comment for Dr. Carol, dial toll-free at 1-866-472-5788. Now back to the show, here's Dr. Carol Lieberman. And welcome back to Dr. Carol's Couch. I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman, talking today with Lisa Luckett, who is a 9-11 widow. She's been sharing her life, light, life and light on this 15th anniversary of 9-11. Um, and before the break, we were talking about how uh, eight years after 9-11, she was diagnosed with cancer. Now, I don't want to scare people about, you know, I was talking about how, especially a loss, um, you know, there is research to show that you are more susceptible to, because your immune system, uh, stre- it stresses your immune system and that makes you more vulnerable to cancer as well as other things when you don't have a good working immune system. But the, the reason why I think it's important to talk about this is that if, if for example, you have a relative who is, uh, getting old or, you know, has some kind of terminal illness or something, I mean, you know, obviously none of us could have predicted 9-11. But um, if there are stressful things going on in your life, especially a loss of a loved one, then it's a, it's a message to you to um, take extra good care of yourself from, from sleeping eight hours a night to uh, eating more healthy and taking vitamins and all of those things you've heard about for years and um, being more careful in terms of doing things like getting mammograms. So take it away, Lisa. <laughs> you, you hit the nail on the head. So your mind is so powerful that it can really create a lot of problems with your physical body. So in stressful situations, we deplete magnesium. Magnesium is not something you really get in foods. So if you are in a stressful situation, take some magnesium, take some vitamin D, some B, some C, a good multi. I mean, you can really thwart the effects of a of a of a compromised immune system through stress. In addition to that, back to being prepared, it also says, I'm doing everything I can to be healthy to your brain. So that you, again, you're checking off the lists. We're in a position where if you look at that scary idea, like I looked at my husband's death, and what did it do? It made me think it through. I knew where everything was so that I didn't have any surprises in handling the post-death situation paying the bills, you know, where the car keys were. I knew I was okay with him. Like he left, we, we left well, you know, because I believe he's been here since, with me since, believe me. Uh-huh. I, I, I could never be here on my own. And Ted and I, as a, as a couple, were much better as a unit than we were as separate people. We made uh-huh. each other better. So, you know, with his, when I, he died, I lost all my common history. He's the only one that knew me so well. He's the only one that knew the 15 years of that part of my life. So, but anyway, the stressors, um, we, my mission is to help people turn the volume down on their fear, is turn, is just take a breath. You know, meditation has become so much more pervasive in our society. It's so important to breathe. I mean, when I think about it, you know, if you only shallow breathe, you're literally racing yourself. You need to deeply breathe. It's how you bring energy into your body. 
just like taking vitamins, just like exercising, and you mentioned Mm -hmm. eight hours of sleep. When I had cancer, my doctor said, you have to get eight hours of sleep, and you have to drink water, Mm -hmm. which is I do not naturally enjoy. A lot of people (laughs) do. I I have to force water. So... Mm -hmm. But I did everything I was told, and I literally pretty much sailed through it. You know, well, did I lose my hair? Yeah, that was weird. But the rest was pretty tolerable. Yes, thank goodness for hats, right? <laughs> or yes. Wigs. Um, yes. Well, let's, this kind of leads perfectly into your passion and, and your being the founder of Cosmina Enlightened Living. Uh, so tell us all about that. So Cosmina Enlightened Living is the product of the emotional psychological breakthrough I experienced after year four of deep psychoanalysis. And I wanted mental health more than anything. I had had 40 years of being misunderstood, of not fitting in, of having problems with my relationships, interpersonal relationships. I battled my way through it, but it was a battle. And I wanted it so badly, and she knew that, and and I would say to her, how do I know? How will I know when I've achieved mental health? And she would say to me, you're going to get the most mind-blowing rush of creative energy like nothing you have ever known. Well, that's all you have to say to me, because all I want to do is paint. All I want to do is, like, be creative, and I thought, oh, that's awesome. I'm going to paint fine art and landscapes and oils and pastel. I can't, no. So I break through. And when I tell you, it was like somebody took the top of my head off and 40 years of repressed thinking came shooting out of the top of it like a cartoon. And I joke that it was like riding the Acme rocket, like Wild E. Coyote in the Roadrunner uh-huh. cartoon, shooting forward on the, on the Acme rocket, like, wah! But it was manic and it was fantastic. And I was exhilarated because I was reprocessing my life from about 12 to 24 all over again. I had basically peeled back all the learning, all the incorrect learning, and then rethought it all through with the right information. Uh At at the same time, during this wake-up, I realized, oh, my gosh, who's taking care of women? Who's taking care of mothers? I saw all of us running around like chickens with our heads cut off, taking care of kids, driving them everywhere, doing everything, and submerging ourselves, losing sense of who we are. And no one noticing. Husband's not noticing, parents not noticing, all of us not noticing, and I felt this incredible need to take care of the people who had taken care of me. In addition to the fact I'd had to receive so much, and (laughs) that still is painful, believe me, even when you know you should do it. So I started knitting because I'm a crafter. And throughout my, my childhood, that's how I soothed myself. I sewed, I crocheted, I knit, I did crafting because I'm a natural crafter. So, of course, I would knit. I still don't know how to paint. So I started knitting, and I made up this pattern for a giant wool shawl that would be wrapped around you and hold you in this beautiful way that you would be cared for and dressed from the waist up so you could run the kids to school late with your jammies on. You would be cared for in this loving hug, and everyone everyone would think you were dressed, and you looked beautiful. So the third friend I knit for, and I knit them one at a time, and the person would come across my radar literally spontaneously, and that's who I would knit for. And then the next one would come, and the next one would come, and it would take me 10 days to two weeks to, excuse me, to make them at night. Um, I would knit when the kids went to bed, and I'd watch some TV, and at that time I would also process. And the third friend I knit for, I took it to her house in February of 2006, and it was a cold, snowy morning here in New Jersey, and 
everybody was sitting, kids were sitting around in their jammies, and so were my Carol and her husband Tom. And I walk in with this big fisherman white shawl, and I wrap it around her. And she's such a cute person. She goes, "Oh my gosh, this is the coziest thing I've ever worn. It's like a great big hug." And then she turned around and caught herself in the mirror and goes, "But it's so glamorous. It's uh-huh. like a pashmina. No, it's a cosmina." So the ah. name of my, my, my shawls are Cosminas. And what a Cosmina does is it carries all the loving energy that you are putting into every stitch for that person that you're knitting for specifically. And when that person puts it on, it's like they feel it. The energy is literally in there, which is great for your mom, your sister, your friend, but it really, really matters and really works when somebody is hurting. So who's had so a loss... It- it's a combination of cozy and pajmina. Cozy and glamorous. It's where coziness meets glamour. That's its little marketing handle. Uh-huh, but I yes, mean the word. And it's how you wear I, it that makes it a cozmina. Otherwise, it's a big triangular shawl. It's, it's just how you wear it, which is all on the website and everything. Oh, uh-huh. well, you'll have to give, give that to us at the end of the show. Okay. Um, and so this cosmina enlightened living tell us right. what else it includes okay so that's so the, the knitting is a tactical thing so what knitting does I'll get to the product the brand in a sec mm-hmm. what knitting does is it uses your tactile touch and tactile touch your fingertips actually physiologically calms your central nervous system it slows your heart rate it quiets your breath and it calms you down it not only calms you down it calms everybody down around you while you're knitting so it's very energetic as well what Cosmina Enlightened Living is, is a lifestyle brand or platform based on the foundational elements of warmth, comfort, and care, consideration, grace, and decency. So it's about finding comfort through your senses, through your five taste, touch, sight, smell, and sound. Creature human comforts. It's about tapping into your humanness. It's about connecting with like-minded thinkers, people that make you feel good people that you leave that conversation exhilarated or warm, not feeling badly and doubtful and negative. That's not Cosmina. You know, not toxicity. Actually moving away from toxicity is where we are in my little land of love over here. And then just to take care of the caregiver, to be considerate of others, to see how your behavior affects the other person. How what you just said was received by them. Put yourself in their place. So much of it's about living the golden rule, do unto others, which are all things we learned in kindergarten. And they're basic human needs. And I just, it's amazing how we think we're recreating and reinventing stuff all the time. There's nothing new out there. This is just my version of what came through in this crazy download, in this crazy two-year period that I could not stop seeing the good. Since the morning of 9-11, I can only see the positive in situations. That's when we talk about silver linings. Like standing in in my TV room in the middle of the morning going, oh my gosh, this could be so much worse. It could be 1230 like it was in 1993, and those buildings could be full. And we could be burying 30,000 people instead of 3,000 people. Hmm. Like that's a silver lining. That's an understanding of a different way to look at it. So it's all you know, it's, perspective. It's just amazing that you were able to think of these positive things, like, as you say, sort of instantaneously, um, after this tragedy happened. I mean, that's, 
I'm sure you've spent lots of time talking with other uh, with relatives of people, well, like even in even from your husband's company and so on. And I, I I don't know that many of them had this same kind of reaction. But you know, Carol, it's Dr. Carol. It's really again. I look at the first forty years of my life, which I had to live these painful years, these misunderstood years, dismissed, not seen not understood by my parents, but people are supposed to love you. Did it look good on the outside? Yes. Was there any real meat on the inside? No. They didn't understand me because I was different. I was a hard kid. Kids who are hard to raise, parents have favorites. The easy ones are easy. That's who they love more. It's easier to love the easy ones. Uh But I would say to my mother over the years, Mom, but it's the hard ones that have the most potential. Yes. If you figure out who that kid is and how, where their strengths are instead of constantly focusing on the weaknesses that are, quite frankly, driving you crazy. I mean, I have three kids. I get it. Yeah. And, you know, my mother wished me on me, <laughs> wished kids just like <laughs> me on me for years. So, but the truth is, all of that prepared me to receive in 9-11 to get the love I needed, this unconditional love that came from every corner of the earth unending to this day. And what is that? It's everyone knows my story. So everyone gives me that moment of consideration, that moment of pause before they judge me. Uh-huh, uh-huh. Now I right? want to make sure our time is like quickly going away. Okay. So I want to make sure yep. that I give out, um, or you can give out the website sure. for Cosmina. They can look, certainly Google my name, Lisa Luckett. That's easier to spell, L-U-C-K-E-T-T. It will take you down the list. And Cosmina is a made-up word, as you know, meaning coziness meets glamour. But it's C-O-Z, M as in Mary, E-E, N as in Nancy, A. In other words, it's Pajmina, Cosmina, but I didn't know how to spell Pajmina. <laughs> so I'm a bad speller. But I have all the, all the domain names. So Cosmina spelled kind of any way you'll find your way to me. And what Cosmina is to, so it's a made-up word like Xerox is to copiers, Kleenex uh-huh, is to tissues. Uh-huh. Cosmina is to love and kindness and care. Okay, let me say it again. It's C O Z E. M-E-E-N-A dot com. And I want to also mention you are writing a book. It's called 9-11 Healed Me, Finding the Silver Linings from Traumatic Events, and it's going to be published in 2017. So uh, this has been a very fascinating, inspiring, uplifting story. And um, as I mentioned at the very beginning, you should be honored, just like the people who died or who were injured, um, who had other losses in 9/11. For you should be honored for taking this tragedy and finding the silver lining and teaching everybody else how to do the same thing. So thank you very much, Lisa Luckett, for uh, being on the show, and thank you all for listening. You've been listening to Dr. Carol's Couch, and I'm your psychiatrist host, Dr. Carol Lieberman. Thank you for joining us on Dr. Carol's Couch. Join us next week at 1 p.m. Pacific time for another installment of Dr. Carol's Couch. We'll save you a seat. 